0: Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. You ever had that day, you get up and everything that could go wrong, goes wrong? That was us this morning, well, if you were here. But God has, he always put some people in your path to help you make things happen, to get things set up. And as we're going through this first chapter of Genesis, and it's creating the foundation um, for our faith because we all need a foundation. You are, we, we live in an area that has storms, and a lot of times these storms come through and I get the chance to, we get a chance to see them on TV and we look at the devastation of these storms and we look at the trees that are broken in half like twigs or toothpicks. And for me, you see areas and places where homes used to be, but it's something still left there. And it's the foundation. So when I look at the storms that come through on TV, through Alabama and through Georgia, and I see roads that used to lead to homes, that homes are moved so far off their foundation, you don't know where they came from. You don't know what's the address. But then from that sky view, you see that foundation. And for me, I see it like, oh, they, they can rebuild. They have a foundation. And as believers, we have to have a foundation. So when storms come in our lives, we have a foundation that we can stand on, that we can believe in. And for you have trees that grow deep down into the soil because we are in one of three stages at all times. We either in a storm, getting ready to go in a storm or coming out of a storm. Those are the three phases in life, either that's with your job, with your with your family, with your kids, something. You're in those three stages at, at any given point, and we have to have roots that go deep down. Because if we don't have roots that go deep down, those trees that were broken in half will be totally uplifted and move off of their foundation as well. But they have roots, and we have to have roots. And God's word for us as believers gives us those roots that no matter what challenges we face in life, we will be able to withstand them. We're looking at the foundation of scriptures in Genesis 1, but if you were to go to Ephesians 3 and 17 and 19, Paul is still talking about this centuries later, and he said, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly establishing love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height, and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. At this point in the book of Genesis, we know that God created the universe. We know that God created animals. He created um, plants and flowers and moved water away from land and separate the sky and, and everything around us that is in his hands. And with that being said, his word in Genesis 1 is as true as Exodus 20, that gave us the Ten Commandments. It is as true as Deuteronomy 31, that Joshua should be strong and courageous after Moses died. It's as true as Isaiah 53, that told us about the suffering servant. It's as true as Luke 24, that Jesus appeared to his disciples and said, Look, look at my hands and my feet and see and touch me and know that I am not a ghost is what he told them. Genesis 1 is as true as all those verses, yet people have challenged this chapter of the Bible for years. It shouldn't make any difference to you if all the scholars, all the preachers, all the scientists, all the politicians, and all the theologians put together told you that Genesis 1 isn't true. You should be able to look back at them and say, I will respectfully disagree. I respectfully disagree. And you standing on your faith and you could tell them, I can't, I can't explain everything. God didn't explain to us, so I can't explain it to you, but I'm going to stand on my faith on what he's done over what you're doing. Because everything, the people that I just described, they have to take something that God created to try to prove that God didn't, is, don't exist. So how can you, as an individual, take something that God exists to prove that God doesn't exist? It just doesn't make sense. So you don't have to understand everything. You don't have to know the dynamics of everything. None of us know the ins and outs of our cars, our computers, our phones. But we trust that they work. We trust that they're going to do what they have been designed to do because we're going off of that faith. So Genesis answers the questions of who made the universe and how it was created and no it doesn't go in greek detail it doesn't talk about dinosaurs it doesn't talk about the angels it doesn't talk about a couple of other things but we know enough about it to know that these things took place and god has created this as a training camp for us and we're going to finish up day six of what god is already saying And when I was growing up and we were asked the older people questions about the Bible, and when they got tired of answering the question, they would simply tell us, look, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to go into deep explanation of you. He's real. If you keep searching, you keep reading, he's going to prove that he is real. But as far as right now and answering all your questions, right now, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And let's move on. And they will go on from there. But if you're looking for something to sum up these next six, um, six verses, it would be simply, we were made to rule in fellowship with God. Now, when I'm talking about rule, of course, I'm not talking about being the mayor of Columbus or mayor of any city or mayor of any town or politician or president or prime minister. I'm talking about being able, he, we were made to rule things on earth like animals and um, plants and be a farmer, certain things. But a lot of people feel that that's not what I've been called to do. By the fact that you are born a human, those, the, these nine words makes all the sense in the world because we were created to rule and we were created to fellowship with God. That's what we were designed to do. And of course, I can prove it to you with these first few scriptures, but nothing happens outside of God unless God makes it happen or God allows it to happen. And if you doubt that, look at Job, just the first couple of chapters, and he explained it in great, te- great detail. We have to find our why, our purpose, whatever God has designed for us to do, because each and every one of us in here are watching this or screaming this online, God has created us for a purpose. We have a purpose. We have to find what that purpose is and move from there. When I go and talk to young people, even in high school middle school, I'm like, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, I don't know. Have you thought about it? Nah, I really haven't thought about it. And a lot of us can testify. You talk to seniors in high school, and a lot of them don't know what they're going to do after high school. And I'm like, dude, you know you are in like two months. You might want to get the ball rolling on figuring those things out. I'm going to go to college. Okay, what are you going for? And you go and they go and they change majors and so on and so forth. And for me, I knew I was going in the military and I was in the seventh grade. I'm like, look, not, not waiting to 12th grade. I'm, I'm going to try to figure this thing out now. And so I could plan from there. So the next couple of years of middle school and high school, I'm just seeing what I'm going to do while I'm there. So I was like eons of uh, ahead of my peers as far as graduating high school and knowing what to do. Granted, I got into a whole lot of trouble. It took me two years after high school to get it done, but it happened. I had goals, and I had a plan. And then from there, God just slowly transitioned me um, into what he would have for me to do because when I was in the Army, I felt compelled to go into teaching. I wanted to teach history, and about halfway through getting ready to finish my undergrad, and God said, nah, I need you to go a different path, and that's how I ended up. Um, being a minister, but I ran from that for two years, so God had a bright idea to send me to Korea to make me think about it. So I had a a year to think about it, and I was like, okay, okay, I don't want you to send me no place colder than here, so I accept um, my purpose for my life that you have desperately told me about. And And it leads to that. So when you're talking about ruling and fellowship, and I'm talking about ruling and fellowship because they coincide with one another, because if you have kids, you, you have to raise them. So that's you ruling over your kids. you you a person that loves animals and pets and so on and so forth. You have to rule over those things. But one of the first things we, we look at in this text as well is that we're not made to do, we were never meant to do life alone. There's no way we could set this up Alone. And up until the moment that I came on stage, people were asking me, Hey, anything I can do? Anything else I can do? Anything else I can do for you? And I said, No, well, it's, it's up to the Lord at this point on what to do next. So we, we're proving that we are not meant to be alone. And here's what God says about that He said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky the livestock, and the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. But before we get to the next part, I want you to look at the they, because you see in the sentence before that God said, let us make man in our own image. We know that man is singular. It's, it's not a plural word, but God says the next sentence, he says they. And to me, my theology is that when God said they, he meant man and woman. He didn't just said man. He said they. So to me, my understanding is that he said they because he wanted to put out that the fact that woman came out of man, he used the term they. And here's why I believe that. And he created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue so it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So that's why I believe that God was saying they, and he meant male and female doing that process. And you also notice that God used, said, let us. All before now, God said, let it be, let it be, let it be, as if he's not involved, but to verse 26 he says let us and seven times he says let it be let it be let it be but 26 he changes whole sentence in making man so on the sixth day God got personal by saying let us the whole trinity is engaged in this creation and we see a change in the language so God is in communion with himself about their most important creation. So the statement, let us, is in tune with the idea that there is one God in three persons making the Trinity. To understand man begins with knowing that he was made in the image of God. Man is different from every other created being because he was made in harmony with God. Though we are biologically similar to certain animals, we are distinct in our more intelligent, and spiritual capacity. However, this does not mean that God has a physical human body doesn't mean that at all. So he gave man a physical body that could do some of the things that he does, see and hear and smell and touch and speak and think and plan and so forth. So God's plan for creating man was to give them dominion over the earth. The concept of man being created in the image of God is repeated. So God emphasized that of this idea. God created man fully formed with a level of intelligence that he did it in one day. He didn't do it in nine months or over centuries. He created Adam and Eve in one day, in moments, possibly in seconds. He created them. And we don't know if he created Adam and Eve as young people or he created them as full-grown adults. But I think it was more on the side of full-blown adults because man was able to make rational decision that he was able to listen and do what God would have for him to do. Not saying a young person couldn't, but adult would be more in line with what God was tasking him to do because he had to name the animals. He had uh, certain things he had to do that God was requiring that man do. So I would assume that man was fully grown human being and full grown adult in that sense. And he tasked them with one of the first things he tasked them with. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Of course, everyone here and watching knows what be fruitful and multiply means. But we can get but we live in a society that gets those things mixed up and confused. And I just want to read you a quote from David Gusick, um, the pastor of Calvary Chapel Church. in um, St. Barbara, California. And here's what he says. He said, men are not women. Women are not men. It is vain to wonder if men or women are superior to each other. A man is absolutely superior at being a man. A woman is absolutely superior at being a woman. A woman, but when a man tries to be a woman or a woman tries to be a man, you have something inferior. So God did not make a mistake when he made and he formed us in our womb. Regardless of our birth defects, we have people who are born with certain disabilities. We are created in God's image. Regardless if you were born without the use of your limbs or you are, have other disabilities, you are created in the image of God. You are not being punished because of something your parents did or something that happened during the pregnancy. That child is still born in the image of God and should believe that and not think that something happened that God is punishing them for, for anything. We are still children of God. Amen? And secondly, we were made to represent God on Earth, and we are God's visible representative. We are His visible representatives in all creation. It's our birthright. It goes with being born a human. According to God, it's unavoidable. We cannot avoid our task. We cannot avoid our mission. We were made to tend to the earth as a shepherd to his sheep, like a farmer to his animals in his field, like a gardener to his, to his uh, plants and to an ontologist to his birds, that we are tasked to do these things. So God continues his assignment of tasking man with certain things. He said, God also said, look, I have given you every seed bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. There will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth. Everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and he was very good, and it was very good indeed. Every, correction, evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So with that being said, God gave Adam the seed. Granted, there were already fruit plants and plants that were already there, but he gave man the seed, and that tells me that man had to plant to continue to do what, to build on what God established in the beginning. That he didn't just say, all right, the garden is yours. Just eat whatever you want to eat. Do whatever you want to do. Like, no, you have to be fruitful and multiply. And you have to take these seeds and you have to plant them. You're not going to just do nothing. And that's what man was left to do. Not only he was left to do that for himself, he had to do that for the animals. Because lions and tigers and all these animals that eat meat now were eating plants. So he had to grow enough plants to feed all these animals and make sure they had what they needed to do. So some contribute the fact that they, they lived off vegetation contributed to their long life during that time. I don't know if I can handle them to be 900 or 800, 700 years old, but that's um, how old they, they were living during this time, but I, you notice this. So when you was at this time, they walked with God, they talked with God in the Garden of Eden. They weren't like praying to God and then God would answer their prayers. Like God would visit them during this time period. And when you walk in, you're talking with someone, you start to take on attributes that they have and you start to act like they act. And I'm pretty sure God came in and out. So Adam and Eve would conversate with God face to face instead of how we communicate with him now. And that there was no death, there was no decay, no crime, no prejudice or hatred. Since we were made in the image of God, do people from time to time look at the work we do and say, hey, that's a, that's, they're acting just like their father, their father God, but they're acting like a Christian or something similar to those traits because you lined up with those attributes that God has. Because as representatives, we have that responsibility that we are to live a life that represents the Father, the Creator, and I'm not saying we're going to get it right every time. That we're going to wake up every day and we're just going to knock it out the park that day. We're going to hit a home run as far as how we carry ourselves. God understands that now, that we are sinners saved by grace, but He's just saying something should change. You should be able to improve in what you're doing in life, and. You do that by spending time with him. You do that by praying and having, you surrounding yourself with friends. And that's how parents look at their kids when they get of age and they start making friends. They look at their friends and they kind of tell, based on their friends, who they're attracting. And then they try to encourage them, hey, I'm not telling you how to pick your friends, but you need to be careful. Because the people you've put around you can influence what you do and what you listen to and what you watch. And then that stuff gets inside of you, and then it's gonna come out in a way that doesn't represent um, your, the reflection of who your parents are. I'm reminded of a story of, of this guy. He was getting ready to take this girl out, and his dad told him, he said, hey, son, I know you're taking this girl out tonight, but he said, remember, you are a brown. That's, that was their last name. So the brown name is a very prestigious name. So don't mess it up. Don't go out tonight and mess it up. And before that, he had plans of what he wanted to do. But when his dad told him that, he didn't even want to go out on a date because in his mind, he wanted to do something else. And because of what his dad told him, changed his perspective on how he goes out. But it's funny how we use those analysis with our kids, but we don't use the analysis of God. Like, hey, you a child of God. When you go out tonight, you are representative of the father, the son. Jesus died for you. That gave you a right to the tree of life that, yes, you make mistakes that he forgave you for. So when you go out tonight, you keep that in mind about the decisions you make, the people you hang out, the things you plan on doing. You're not just my, my son. You got a father that's bigger than me. And his son died for you. So you go ahead and you go have fun, but don't get into trouble. How many parents do that with their kids? That'll that'll blow your kid's mind. You you tell them that. In some way, shape, form, or fashion that they hear that because there's someone that's outside of them that sees what they're doing. Because my daughter would tell me things like, Trinity, I ain't going to be to see everything you do, but God sees it. So you can tell me whatever, and I got to take you at your word, but God knows what, what you're doing, and I'm not going to lose any sleep or anything like that because you're in his hands. The decisions you make, vice versa, whatever, you in his hand, and you're a representation of him. So the decisions you make are not your reflection of him, and that's how people are going to see you. And the enemy sees it too. When he knows that you are a child of God, he's doing everything in his efforts to cause you to sin. I can remember being in Korea, and a guy came to me because I just kept going to chapel. Like I said, I was running, but there, I had already accepted. Okay, when I get back to the States, I accept. And a guy came up to me, and he said, I'm going to make you curse before you leave. I, was, I laughed. I was like, wow. And that was the enemy pretty much telling me to my face, I'm going to cause you to sin. And he told me that. And I thought that was interesting. I didn't get upset. I was like, wow, that enemy is awesome. I mean, he, he knows God's word and he knows who I am without me telling him. And he's telling me, my goal is to make you sin, to make so you can be like me. And I took it as a challenge. And every, each and every day, somebody in your job, somebody that you work with is doing the same thing to you. But they're just not voicing it to you out like that person did it to me. It's coming from areas that you don't even expect it. And he's coming to make you be a false representative of God. And he's gonna scream, he's gonna be excited at, at those little accomplishments that he makes you do. And you are like, man, I've messed up. But guess what? God gave you. You get another day, you get another chance to make it right. You're gonna lose some battles but you just want, don't want to lose the war. That's your overall goal. You fall down, you get up. Just make sure you get up more times than you fall down, you all all right. And if you're in a situation where you, you, you're stressed out, just say, I quit tomorrow. And tomorrow comes, you say, I quit tomorrow. And you say that every single day until you complete that task as you go through the storms of life, because they're coming. But I like what Adrian Rogers um, wrote. He's in, he was an American Southern Baptist preacher and author and uh, three-time president of the Southern uh, Baptist Convention. And I posted this on my Facebook page a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it would be fitting to slide it in here. And he said, you were made for God. God made you to know him, to love him, to satisfy him. Mm -hmm. Pleasures cannot satisfy. Positions cannot satisfy. Philosophy cannot satisfy. God made you for him. God made a bird to fly in the sky. God made a fish to swim in the sea. God made you to know him and love him. You take a bird out of the sky and put it in water, he's an unhappy bird. Your element is God. You take a fish out of the sea and put it in a tree, he's an unhappy fish. And if you don't know him, you're going to be like a round peg in a square hole. You're going to be like a fish in a tree. Like a bird under the water, God made you for him. In him we live and move and have our being. End quote. You see, everything in the universe is going to perish. The stars are far from the sky. The sun is going to go out. The moon is going to cease to exist in the capacity that it is right now. Every plant, animal, tree on earth is going to go back to the dust from which it became but not man. Not man. We will still be here. We are the main characters in this creation story. In the future, God is going to come back and seek a bride for his son. He's going to look for you. He's going to look for me. Not the Cunningham Center, not any other church building. So the question we have to ask ourselves, will you be ready when he comes? And whether it's the rapture or death before that. And we have to live every day with that question. Am I going to be ready? Am I ready? And we have to make steps to prepare ourselves for that place because we're going to spend eternity somewhere. But the good part about it, you get to decide where you spend eternity. And a lot of people look at hell as a place of having fun. Hell was not meant for us. Hell was meant for those angels that messed up in chapter 1 that God didn't talk about. It was made for them, only for them. Only for them. So when people will say, I'm going out hell, I'm going to go to hell to have fun with my buddies. Hell is, is not a place that you have fun. If you look at scripture, it doesn't describe hell as a fun place. If, sir, it's described as a place where you're in pain, you in anguish, and you are alone. In no description of hell in the Bible, it describes hell as with other people with you or around. it always in pain. And when you look at your lifespan, if you were to take a line from one my finger to the other, your lifespan on earth is like this. And then everything else after that is eternity. When you think about your life, your 80, 90, years of life compared to eternity, It's a big decision, but it's a necessary decision when you're thinking about how you want to go into, how you want to live now as an example or in what you want to leave behind. When I was a drill sergeant, I would tell the other drill sergeants, and it was days that we were tired, didn't want to be there because the hours was long, we were working six days a week, and I would tell them, I said, you got a decision to make. I said, these guys are going to remember you. They're going to remember you for the good, or they're going to remember you for the bad. I haven't been in basic training over 30-some years, and I can still remember my drill son. Drill song Weedy Bird, Drill son Pig, and Drill song Simmons. Never forgot these guys. Can still spit their names out as if I went to basic training yesterday. And you, I remember them for the good that they put in my the foundation of what it is to be a soldier that they established during that time period. To build upon that and chapter one does that in genesis it gives you that foundation you stand on that and you don't move and if you do get blown off of you got a foundation you can rebuild and in our next steps is simply i will show leadership for and in god you can serve perform leadership show leadership in many ways it's, you don't have to be in charge. You don't have to be a supervisor. Your leadership can just be you just being a follow God and people just knowing that's who you are. And those of us that have lived this life for Christ, we have people that have been watching us, that will come up to us, that we didn't know would watch us and say, hey, can you pray for me? And we didn't even know that they knew we were believers because we don't go around wearing T-shirts or have symbols on us that show that we are followers of Christ. You show it by the life you live. And when you go into a room, people are going to know that there's something different about you. So that's how we show that leadership. And I need the Holy Spirit to assist me in a, as being a representative of God because we look at politicians now. Some of them are not good representatives, not just of their state, but of the country as a whole. But we can decide how a representative we are going to be to our fathers we can decide that barring what they do and what's going on we are it's more concerning to us as of jesus christ how we are representative of him than we are than how our state and local representatives are in government way more important because half of them don't even know our names so how can you represent me in my views but you don't know me or my views but god knows us and we have direct link um to to him, which is awesome that we don't have to go through anyone else. We don't have to go through a secretary to get to the politician, we don't have to go to a set an appointment to meet him. We can just pray and talk to him from where we are. But if you're someone that don't know Christ at all and any of your sins, today may be your day. He's talking at your heart. And you are battling that decision. It's a tough decision. It took me... I was... At my first duty station at Fort Raleigh. Been going to church all my life. Didn't know of God, but didn't know God. And then I met this woman. And then she put up with all the the trouble and everything I did in life. And she was there and she was believing. She went to church and asked me, you coming? I said, no. And she stopped asking. She just started, kept going. And then one day, one Sunday morning, I just started getting dressed. It was like I was a robot. I was just... Got up and started getting dressed. Like, where you going? I said, I'm going with you. Like, I don't know why, but something's going on. And I've been going ever since. And to me, that moment was like her taking my hand and God's hand and said, Troy, this is Jesus. Jesus, I know you know who Troy is, but this is Troy. Y'all two need to, need to communicate. Y'all two need to talk and build a relationship. That's how, in my mind, it happened. And it was often... It was just going on from there, and I went and heard her first message, and I was like, "I don't get it. Let's go to Sunday, Let's go to Bible study." Like, and she was like, "Just look at me funny, but didn't say anything. And I was like, let's go to Sunday school." and went to Sunday school and just progressed from there until now. But if you knew the person I was, then you would have never thought I'd be the person I am today, but it's only by the grace of God that I'm able to stand before you in any capacity to say anything about god or the how he changed my life amen so the moment i'm going to pray and just want to add that in there that that he is real as we all know and that he can do awesome things regardless of how your day start how your situation is right now don't wait to get your situation straight and say all right i'm i'm, I'm put together now i can come to christ that'll never happen it'll never happen Trust me, I know, and countless stories to that effect. And the devil is going to do things to block you and put doubt in your head, but you just got to push forward because you know you need a purpose, and it's in Christ. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.